0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is CoronaCast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor
1: and I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan. It's Friday, the 25th of June, 2021.
0: And of course, the outbreak that we've been talking about this week, Norman, has been in Sydney. And yesterday we heard some pretty big numbers announced of new cases, but they're all pretty much linked to existing cases at the moment, except for one. And so even though the numbers are big, maybe the mood is that we're not feeling too concerned about it at this stage.
1: Well, there are actually three unlinked cases as of yesterday. They, today, when you wake up and listen to CoronaCast, that may have changed. But as of yesterday, when they were talking, uh, there were three unlinked cases. Uh, they still don't know, I think, where that year three student in Sydney caught it from, the young child.
0: From a few days ago.
1: So there, there is virus circulating in Sydney. And then there's that extraordinary birthday party in southwest Sydney. It must be getting up to nearly 50% of people at that party were infected. And it seems, as of yesterday's reports, at least from Jerome, the uh, the COVID testing commander in Victoria, that the 60-year-old man who came down from Sydney to Victoria was in fact at that party.
0: It's really interesting. It's obviously hugely hugely worrying when you've got a super spreading event, but there's something really interesting about that birthday party as well, which is that there were some people at the party who were vaccinated and so far they haven't tested positive to the virus.
1: Yes. Well, I say yes with confidence, only just going on reports. That's the way it sounds at the moment. I think probably now's the time and we covered this a little bit yesterday on Coronacast and I think it's now time to actually expand on this because I think there's a lot of confusion in the community and it's partly the rhetoric and we've been party to that rhetoric over the last uh, 14 months or however many months years it's been that Coronacast has been on air is that we've been told again and again that vaccinations on the way is the way out of this and People are starting to write into us, and we, had, we answered one of those questions yesterday. Why can't I be free to travel interstate because I've had my two doses of Pfizer? Why can't I do that? And there is a sense that vaccination is the answer to everything here. And I've got, in a sense, that I've got my personal protection. Therefore, I, as an individual, I'm a safe person because I've been immunized. And therefore, let's get up and go here. And past vaccine passports in, say, Europe or the United States seem to add to that notion. And I think it's just worth resetting on what to expect from vaccination, whether it's with Pfizer or Astra. So you do get some protection against infection, maybe 50, 60 percent with Astra and maybe 70, 80 percent with Pfizer.
0: Against any infection?
1: Any infection. And then the, the risk of symptomatic infection, any symptomatic infection from mild to severe is higher than that. 60, 70%, maybe 60% probably with Astra and up about 90 or 95% with Pfizer. And again, with severe disease, so that's taking, if you then go into the symptomatic infections, severe disease is highly prevented by both vaccines, well over 90%. There's not much difference between the two of them. But from, from those figures, you can see that the vaccines are not perfect at preventing infection. So let's assume for a moment, here's the, here's the statistics and it gives you a sense of what the goal here is. If 80% of Australians get immunized with a vaccine that's 80% effective at reducing infection, so getting infected with COVID-19 virus, then that means 65% of Australians are protected against infection, which is a lot but it's not hundred percent. And the remaining 15% there who have been immunized but not protected, they're probably only going, they may not get a serious infection and they may not spread it, but we don't know that yet. And then there's the 20% who are not immunized at all. So that's still quite a lot of people who are not immunized, but it's an awful lot better than we are now. So this vaccination push is about personal protection against severe disease. And it's about getting large numbers of people in the community who are resistant to infection overall, and a smaller proportion who, who are vaccinated, who are a bit resistant to infection but do get infected, so that when the virus gets into the community, it doesn't spread that quickly or that fast, and that hopefully you've got maybe 90 95% coverage of older Australians so that they're not going to end up in hospital. So we need to get to massive numbers of Australians immunised to actually have that degree of assurance. And when we're at that degree of assurance that it's not going to spread that fast and not that many people are going to become sick, that's when we can open up. But that's why each one of us has got to contribute by getting immunised. Now, a lot of us are getting immunised with a vaccine that's 60% effective, understand all that. But then I think there is going to be enormous pressure on people like me to be boosted towards the end of the year with Pfizer or Moderna to actually get, or Novavax, in fact, to get a top-up to bring us up to that level.
0: You can understand the frustration of people who feel like they've been very proactive in going out and doing their bit, getting that vaccine done quickly, because that's what we've been told to do. If you're eligible, go out and get a vaccine today. And of course, even though people know that they are individually covered, you can understand the frustration that perhaps other people haven't haven't risen to the occasion as quickly. And so the perks that are for everyone, still seem a long way off.
1: It's really hard to get your head around these population health interventions, public health interventions, where the contribution of each individual is relatively small, but the population level is high. So we we all wear seatbelts. Seatbelts only save a relatively small number of Australians' lives each year. Very, very important. But we all wear seatbelts and go through that inconvenience Uh, for our own personal protection, but also for the community at large, is you haven't got a large number of people burdening our hospital system, losing fathers, mothers and others from the family, all that sort of thing. Most population interventions require small contributions from individuals to get a large population effect. And that requires enormous community motivation.
0: So really the takeaway message from here is patience if you've got a vaccine. And if you haven't, go out and get one. If you're eligible for a vaccine, book it today you're doing yourself a favour and the rest of Australia as well.
1: We're only going to get past this lockdown border control restrictions when 80, 90% of us are immunised.
0: Well, as always, we've got lots of questions from our audience, including questions on immunisation. So let's rattle through as many as we can today, Norman. Shall we do a round of Quick Quickfire Friday? Let's go. OK. Liz is asking, what impact does being vaccinated have on long COVID?
1: We don't know that yet. There was some information in the early days of vaccination, that people with long COVID who got vaccinated got a bit better from their symptoms. And there haven't been good studies on that yet. The provisional studies suggested that some people were, were helped with their long COVID, maybe through an immunological reset after they had the vaccine. The other question is, going back to our previous discussion, is if you're vaccinated and get infected with coronavirus and you get some symptoms, do you have the same risk of, of long COVID? And we don't know the answer to that question.
0: Seven-year-old Madison is asking via Marianne, her mum, if you can get coronavirus from sneezing and coughing, can you get it from hiccups as well?
1: Very good question, Madison. And the answer is it's possible, I suppose, because it's kind of a respiratory movement and you might get that, but a hiccup is mostly hiccuping inwards rather than expelling outwards. So I would would suggest that a hiccup's safer than a cough.
0: Diana's asking, if Novavax proves to be safe and effective, then couldn't CSL, which is currently uh, producing the AstraZeneca vaccine, produce Novavax instead because it's also a protein subunit vaccine, similar to the types of vaccines used in the past?
1: So Diana, good question. The answer is yes, CSL could produce this vaccine. However, commercially, they are competitors and will be in the future of Novavax, who have very specific technology which gets attached to the spike protein, the recombinant protein, and it's called the adjuvant, and that's part of their IP. So I'm just not sure how enthusiastic Novavax would be about handing over some of the IP of their adjuvant to CSL, but maybe they could license it, and licensing it allows control of the IP. So it is possible, no question.
0: And Gemma's asking, with the new variants, can we clarify whether they're the same symptoms as the original symptoms list? And are the newer variants more likely to be asymptomatic or are there more people with symptoms these days?
1: It's hugely complicated at the moment and not not at all clear. The 617 variants, particularly the Delta, there is a little bit of a signal from India that they might be, and indeed the UK, that the Delta variant might be more virulent, meaning so virulent means more aggressive, nastier rather than more contagious.
0: The disease itself.
1: Yeah. So there are there is an uptake in hospitalizations and hospitalizations in younger people. So it could be nastier. But I don't think necessarily that the symptom pattern has changed. Although, you know, some people are saying, but I think it's mostly unofficial circulating around that there may be more neurological symptoms with the Delta variant, but I don't think there's any evidence to support that at this point.
0: I also saw UK data this week, Norman, saying that headache and runny nose are more common these days.
1: I think they're just more recognised. If you go back to Coronacast last March and April, we talked about headache and runny nose then. That was a symptom that was often ignored and not realised as a prominent symptom of uh, of the coronavirus. So I don't I'm not sure that's new. We've been talking about that now for 14 years. It Four,
0: <laughs> Feels like it at least. That's all we've got time for for Quick Five Friday and for this week but join us again next week on CoronaCast.
1: Lots of questions still coming in but we'd love to get them go to abc.net.au/coronacast, click on ask your questions and we'll get to them during the week. This we'll try our best. So see you Monday. See you then.